welcome to the Customer Support Leaders Podcast. I'm Charlotte Ward. Today, we're listening to one of my favorite episodes from the archives. I'd like to welcome back to the podcast today, Chris Taylor. Chris, it's been a while, but it's lovely to have you back again, this time for a fireside. Um, first of all, let's have a quick check in with how you're doing in 2021. It's um, I'm not sure where the year is going, but it's, it's just been a bit crazy so far. Um, and then once you've told me how you are, then tell me what you'd like to talk about. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I'm doing okay, I must say. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have been able to buy my own house last year. So irrespective of lockdown, I've been able to spend a lot of time doing house stuff, which is nice. Um, but yeah, that's good. Also, can't believe it's already March. Where has that time gone? It's going to be summer before we know it, um, which mm. I'm really looking forward to. It'd be nice to get out of the house yeah. a bit, do some walks and stuff. Um, yeah. In terms yeah, of what we can sure. talk about, um, start of this year, I took over, well, we have a team at Type called Consulting, um, which is our version of customer success. Um, they came into my team. I've got a new role now, head of customer operations, where I used to be customer support manager. So I've not only got support, I've got customer success now, technical con- uh, documentation and content as well. So we can talk about that. That'd be awesome. Taking on sort of related but different business functions and expanding mm-hmm. that sort of customer that customer uh, remit, right? So, so how did this start yeah. then? Where did, I mean, obviously you were doing very well. They loved you. They said, Chris, look after more stuff. Is that how it went? <laughs> Pretty much, um, essentially. <laughs> uh, well, uh, as customer support manager, I was the first person to come and work at like in a customer facing kind of function. Uh, we had consulting engineers at that point, but they were kind of dotted into commercial people or in some cases, technical directors, it was kind of um, split out amongst various folks. I wrote a proposal back in May of 2020 um, to essentially bring the the two teams under one umbrella so we could benefit from sharing our processes, all of our assets, content, documentation, et cetera, et cetera. And the idea of the long run is to get kind of mini pods working in each region. So you'd have a success engineer tagged to a support engineer sharing the same group of client accounts where possible um so that they work more collaboratively as two separate functions together you know i really like that idea i came across i think it's prodpad doing a similar thing on maybe a slightly smaller scale because they're a bit uh, a bit earlier stage but yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry prodpad if In... I've, I've got that wrong but i think but they have that like really close alignment between success and actually in their in their case their support and product, which makes mm. sense given given their platform, right? Yeah, I think um, I was kind of inspired by SUSE. They're an open source technology company. I saw their CEO, her name's Melissa Di Donato, speaking at a uh, like a venture capital event, and she was talking about her commercial organization and customer success, how they operate as pods. So I kind of took a bit of inspiration from that. Um, alongside it, we've got a commercial leader within Type who's our VP of uh, global sales, who's implementing a similar model in commercials. So you've got a pod for new business, a pod for account management, and they all kind of piece together with the customer ones that we're going to eventually get to. I think we're 
in a position now where we're just starting to ramp up on headcount so we can make them possible. But that's a long-term ambition for it anyway. Yeah. It does need a, a minimum headcount, doesn't it, to be able to split the functions across geographies like that, but then in mm. that way that kind of makes sense so that you have a balance in each of those teams of all of those business functions. Yeah, and you're growing each region at a different pace. So mm. while we have this overarching vision for what these functions might look like in a year, um, each region, so we've got APAC, EMEA, and Americas, they're going to grow at different paces, different times. So planning recruitment's a bit of a, it's kind of what I'm doing predominantly throughout the last couple of months is recruitment planning, headcount planning, um, all of that kind of stuff. And then we've recruited in a couple of new leaders. So we've got a new support manager um, to lead that team. We've hired a customer engineering architect um, who will be running the consulting customer success teams, um, which is really awesome. And we're just recruiting now for a customer education lead to run our content and documentation functions. So lots going on. Mm-hmm. That that sounds great. So I, I think I'd quite like to explore a couple of angles with you. First of all, I'm super interested how that um how the just operationally the line management and the functional management of those and the geographic um kind of management of those pods breaks down. Mm-hmm. Um but also um, you know, specifically like talking about that balance of skills and those different roles in each of the pods and how you personally have found taking on these different business functions, although you're forming this, this you're taking on the, that remit as part of, I, I, I guess, this, this restructuring, mm. um, how you personally have found taking on business functions, podded or otherwise, with like completely mm-hmm. different measures of success and completely different uh, uh, KPIs, I guess, and completely different um, frankly, personalities and, and yeah. approaches to doing the work, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll touch on geography and line management and stuff like that initially. So currently, we we manage them as separate teams still. So we've got um, customer operations, which, which includes support, success, technical content, and you've got a skill set line manager for each. So we've got uh, the customer engineering architect leading the consulting customer success teams. We've got a support manager leading the support team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so right now, it's I, I manage the leaders of those departments, um, and they they are managing the teams directly. We're quite small still, so we're in our growth phase really this year, where it's going to ramp up, and we're going to have to start thinking about geographical management. But I think in the long term, we'll probably end up with. Um, like an operational manager in each region that we have to manage uh, the incoming workload, ticketing, customer success bookings, that kind of stuff. And then we will um, still have our skill set leaders who build the practice of those departments. So we will have, um, his name's Gregor, running customer success and building all the assets process, et cetera, but in conjunction with like a regional manager and that's how they manage the day-to-day workload. So you've kind of got a strategic leader owning the practice of customer success, customer support, and then you've got a tactical leader managing the day-to-day workload. That's how I kind of envision it down the line. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Cause they're, they're two quite different uh, takes on the work anyway. Absolutely. So let's talk about you then. How have you found this journey taking on i mean success is is the obvious and most close closely aligned i think and it's the biggest next step after 
and outside of support leadership, isn't it? We mm. often move into success next or experience, I guess, to a degree. Yeah. But for you, that's been specifically success. How have you found that? I really like customer success. Um, I like customer support as well. Don't get me wrong. I've been there for a long time. I find customer support to be very reactive, right, compared to success being proactive. And I, I really like that proactive nature of it. So how have I found it? Good. I've really enjoyed it. Obviously, we've had some teething problems, growing pains. We've had to recruit in a new leader straight away for the team. Um, and we're just about starting to get into our flow of how we work together and that kind of stuff. I think there's more work to be done on bringing the success and support teams into closer alignment. And again, with the product team, um, which is all kind of ongoing work at the moment. Me personally, um, I am I'm pretty au fait with data and numbers. So that was a big part of my first couple of months, looking into what data do we have on the success operations? What do we need to put together? I've spent a lot of time uh, sort of sanitizing our HubSpot, our Zendesk, um, everywhere that customer success operate so that we have a nice set of KPIs. And I'm glad to say that now we have a regular set of KPIs for each team that we can report on monthly. So a lot of data work, um, a lot of new people to manage. So that was interest. That's been interesting from like a time management perspective, mostly because you know mm-hmm. I've gone from four to ten to twelve, whatever it may be. Um, so so that's been interesting. I think um, we've been in a kind of uh, prepping, planning phase for the first couple of months while we get all of our stuff together, and now it's really going to start to ramp up. So. In a couple of months, we might repeat this conversation and I'll be able to give you a fuller picture. Well, I, w- I would love you to come back and, and let's, let's cover the next two months. Um, how have you found, you talked about, you know, figuring out what data you had available. Um, have you kept the metrics sets quite distinct and separate? And do, you, do you see that is going to be be the case going forward if you have um right now there's a couple of shared kpis and a couple of individual ones for teams um so for example net promoter score will be across both both organizations so you support and success um but then there's specific things for type so how quickly do we get our users into production with the product that's the responsibility of a consulting customer success engineer um, so that's something they would only be targeted on. And then um, we've devised like a technical health score for all of our accounts. That's for the customer success team. They also have a shared KPI with commercial on renewals. Um, so as a team, we own all of them, but separate parts will influence that metric, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you imagine closer alignment beyond the geographic for these two business functions over time? Or, or do you think that they will? By their very nature, do you think that proactive reactive split will will always remain? I ask because I, I I'm I'm aware of other organisations out there that effectively treat customer as a single team, and it's it's mm. a model I sort of I think I quite like. Um, in mm. that there's no differentiation between providing support and enabling success for your customers. Yeah, I'm in two I'm in two minds about it. I think I see the benefit very clearly. But I think it's all to do with how technical the platform is, right? Because of ours is so in-depth, it's an infrastructure Mm. component. Um, A lot of the time, our success engineers need to be people who can 
really understand that infrastructure, go to client sites, maybe install it for them, blah, blah, blah. Whereas support, it tends to be more queries around um, how do I configure? It's more about our product rather than the environment it sits in, right? So mm-hmm. I think in terms of a, we won't merge the teams. You won't see success engineers um, doing support tickets really regularly. They'll get involved if it's like a bug or a feature that their client wants. So they're f- aware of the full picture. Um, but how they will align is, let's say we've got a pod, which is a success engineer and a support engineer. Um, they would have a group of accounts and you can say for this pod, this is your NPS score based on the average of your customers. And that's how we can kind of bring them together around a metric and say, okay, this support engineer, this customer success engineer have an NPS score of 35. What clients do we need to look at? What plans do we need to make? How do we uplift support experiences for these people? Blah, blah, blah. And that's how we'll align them. That makes sense. They're, they're working on success of customers together, but in different ways. Yeah, a yeah fi- for sure. Finite group of customers. That makes sense. So personally, then, what have you found a challenge of the last couple of months, would you say? Uh, time management, for sure. Um, I have teams in Singapore, um, Atlanta, Texas. Elsewhere in the UK, loads of people around Europe. So it's it's just getting to speak to everyone and stuff. And then I think it's just prioritization. So I've got a, a Jira where I plan all of our team workload. Um, we've got individual epics for like support, success, individual people, uh, documentation processes, data, whatever. So organizing all of that has been the bulk of my time in the last month or so. Um, and it's just what do we go with first what are the quickest wins right so Mm. clearing some quick wins picking our strategic priorities for the next three to six months uh, recruiting a lot of recruiting and that is very Mm. time consuming Um, so yeah and really understanding more of the customer success department because Mm. they've been a bit of a an enigma to me I don't I've never sat on their calls, sort of listened to how they work and what they're up to. Um, so a lot of that, getting to understand stuff from their perspective, where I might have a, a different view of things, you know. Mm-hmm. I was uh, I was smiling to myself there because I too, op- my my major challenges are just time management. Like just, I, I have people in Siberia to the West Coast of the US, mm. um, <laughs> which is the same, similar challenge to you. And, uh, and Jira. Jira management of ops, it's where I spend a lot of my time. Uh, that's where we track everything operationally from our OKRs to our postmortems and SLAs and everything else. You and I must get together and share and like oh, do a yeah. Jira comparison at some point. I was just thinking I, I've got to see that because um, I've only recently started using Jira, but because we're a remote distributed global team, it's such yeah. an efficient way of tracking stuff. And you can put on your Jira tickets, how long each thing is taking. So we can start mm-hmm. to get numbers for what's time track against it. Time. You can do it. Yeah. We time track uh, against our Jira's it's, it's, it's heaven and hell all mixed into one. I'm one of those mm. people who loves Jira and hates it. It's also a nice entry point for other teams to make requests of us. Yes. Right. Yes, so I, exactly. I, I find that really useful. Any new clients we get, we get a Jira ticket for it's, such an efficient way to manage remote operations i think it really is it really is and um i i I have to ask you have you set up a next gen project or a classic project 
classic yeah good good choice good choice Mm. we struggled with next gen and we outgrew it very quickly yeah i have about i think i've got 10 to 12 epics in there and we've got about 300 tasks overall Um, i think what i love about what i yeah exactly what i love about the classic is the ability to have different boards so we so we run we run our we have um like a now board which is our kind of today what you need to know we have like i'm just going to deep dive into jira for the next Mm. 20 minutes i'm (laughs) i I will not bore our audience with it and i will show you for real at some point but but just to give you a flavor so we've got our now we've got we we have our day-to-day ops we have our okrs we have um our content management on there so knowledge management stuff we have slas on a separate board um and now just adding in onboarding as well so we're onboarding new engineers and have template onboarding plans in jira it's brilliant i love it mm. see we're using loads of disparate tools for that we have trello for onboarding um okrs are done in a different system blah 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 as much of that that i can centralize i mean don't our okr for i don't know if i can say this but i'm gonna our okr for q2 is to sort of standardize our company information internally and our own knowledge and wikis and how we create organizational memory right so the bulk of every team is moving to confluent we're going to have confluent spaces with all of our process and sector and i think a part of that should be each team has a jira of some description i just Mm. even if i was kind of working in ops or marketing i think as a remote business it's really really powerful um i love it yeah it really is um i we uh We've been time tracking and support. One of the things that I did within the first month of joining Snowplow is to implement time tracking for my team. Mm. And uh, we've since rolled that out across the company. And uh, we're now time tracking in a lot of teams across Snowplow. And um, I introduced as part of the time tracking working group that I was on, I introduced our finance, um, our head of finance to Jira. Mm. And we ran we ran the time tracking project through Jira. She she was running that, and and it was just like it was delightful to see somebody who just assumed this was a software tool <laughs> kind of get really yeah. excited about it. You know? That that's for sure because I'm not I, I'm not technical in in that regard. It's a perfect project management tool for distributed teams. I mean, I feel like we're doing a Jira advertisement now, so we might need to stop. Yeah. But, you know, so I need to say I, I need to I need to just reiterate every now and then that i really hate jira because Mm. i really do because it is complex but i think i think it is it's a it's a dual-edged sword isn't it i think it's so complex but that complexity gives you the flexibility yeah and finding the balance and 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 building the skills to overcome the complexity to get you to the flexibility is kind of where it starts to become really powerful yeah and if you invest in it and invest the time it will pay off. Um, just from my perspective, I was running, even, even when I just had support, I was running most of our projects on a Trello board or a, a Google Doc or here's a spreadsheet and do something about it. Now we've actually, I don't know if, I, I'm not sending out things on a tangent. Everything is more structured. My team are very, I, I hope, grateful for it because I'm not so chaotic. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's really powerful. I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I find just, speaking to back to what i just said and and your experience of it as well that it's if you the more you can layer in there and the more business functions buy into it the more powerful it becomes because Mm. it it's not then even just 
a, another form of a black box that you know a, an engineering team or a support team or whatever functions inside i will always link out if i'm emailing someone and say oh here's the project here's the thing we're working on i'll i'll include the link to the jira card that's tracking mm-hmm. it right um, because it's just like that constant it's the point is it's there and it's visible and although you're using it very actively inside your business function there's no reason why it doesn't surface that visibility to the rest of the organization either. Yeah, and that's the key challenge in a remote business. How do other departments know what you're, you're up to? How can they know what they can contribute to? Or if a decision's been made, how, how did we come about making that decision, right? So I think that's a lot of the benefit of Jira, Confluence, et cetera, and these kind of tools. Um, it's certainly something we're very focused on here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember actually from when I worked in the call centers, um, we used to have a, a similar system of queues. So we'd queue stuff to other teams, like we might send something to product, and that's how you get the visibility over it. I think um, at a startup, when you're quite low on numbers, it's kind of easy to just slack someone or send someone a direct message. But this Jira, Confluence, these kind of tools help set you up for scale, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So... The final thing, we seem to have completely gone off on a Jira mm. tangent, but uh, I've enjoyed that immensely. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, I do think we should round out on on what we promised at the start, which is, mm-hmm. is some insights on taking on taking on other business functions, particularly success in this case. Um, we've talked about some of the things that you've done operationally in the first couple of months and, and the things you found difficult. I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you what's your one piece of advice for anyone making a move into this area, taking on their first leadership of another business function beyond support, particularly mm. success. What, what would you advise? First of all, read everything you can get your hands on, um, not just online like Google or whatever, um, but internally. How have the team been operating? What assets do they have? Understand the environment that they're operating in now. I think as well, as a support leader going into it, I had a lot of preconceived notions about what the team were doing or um, how they were kind of operating and working. Uh, just scrub all of that straight off the bat. Completely forget all your preconceived uh, perceptions and uh, take it as a clean slate. Meet with the people, understand how they're operating and they're working, build that dialogue um, and ch- get, get your perceptions in order. I think that's key. Um, beyond that, I think it's just. Uh, Everything. When I first move into a, a a new department or team, my first point of call is always look at the data and what assets we have. So that's my my first thing to do. But also, yeah, don't don't go in with a an idea of what you think it should be. Uh, yeah, yeah. Look at the data. I and uh, I think through data, understand. Right. I think you can get a mm. lot from conversations. And I know. Most leaders I've spoken to would advocate for spending a lot of time with the team. And I think that that is massively important. But I think that that also focusing just on that perhaps defocuses you away from the data, which actually is another informant, isn't Mm. it? Yeah. And you have to you have to balance that very carefully. I think as you progress and you get more departments, it becomes uh, more difficult to spend as much time with everyone that you would need to right so if it's rooted in data um that's always a great starting point and the people stuff can follow i guess mm, it's just increasing levels of, of increasing levels of abstraction really and i think that mm. that goes for both 
the people if you're not directly having one-to-ones with all of the all of the ICs on your team, but you're managing managers. Um, but similar similarly with data, you have to trust other people's interpretation of deep dive mm. data and, and and draw conclusions based on that next level abstraction, don't you? Yeah, for sure. It's a whole new set of skills. Indeed, data analysis. Do it at school. That's what my recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that as your parting parting piece of advice. Data analysis, mm. do it at school. That's it for today. Go to customersupportleaders.com forward slash 177 for the show notes. And I'll see you next time. custom topics that the user would train on their workspace and kind of like run on that machine just for themselves. Um, what we've decided to do in ProtSci is actually combine the heuristic approaches where we can discover popular keywords, allow you to control the keywords, different rules like inclusions, exclusions, uh, to get as much control over that, but also introduce machine learning models so we can say, okay, show me proc issues that are to do with login, sign up, and password. This is how you kind of find these clusters and maintain control. Uh, but by no means, you know, it's, it's never going to be perfect. The human system is not perfect. The automation system is not perfect. You're always balancing accuracy versus cost versus uh, the insightfulness of your data. And, and as you just said, it takes some maintenance, doesn't it? Because I, I, was, I, was I was going to ask you about how you future-proof this, like really early on, whether you're going the manual route or the automated route. Um, but I think you just touched on it there, actually, and that is that in, in both cases, it needs maintenance. You might have to come and refine rules or add a layer or, or as you said earlier, peel back a layer if, you, if you're just finding strange anomalies with, with things falling into buckets where they just don't belong. Um, and, and maybe that's the future proofing. Maybe the future proofing is that you can't do it all up front and that you actually have to maintain it. Yes, I think. You know, it's um, neither process is completely perfect, but it depends on what you want. You know, if you want a detailed taxonomy that's done for you in a reliable way that you can control at the rule level rather than, you know, telling people what to do, um, then an automated system will allow you to reap those benefits for a cost. Um, but then I think sometimes what we, of course, deal with um, is um, kind of over-glorifying of the manual system because people are familiar with, they think it's, it's kind of the, ba- the benchmark. But um, what was really interesting in the early days of prod sites, when I would do free tagging for companies as a way of providing the service, testing whether that's actually needed, um, you would get about 20% coverage. So a company says, we are doing manual tagging in our system. We run it through our algorithm and we actually see that only 20% of tickets are tagged. Uh, so you know, you might have consistency within that 20%, but you're not getting the coverage. 80% of the tickets are the black hole. Mm, scary black hole. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, I, I guess, you know, m- more data, even if it has imperfections, is always better than no data, right? I, th- I think that, as you said, the coverage is probably key. Coverage and keeping it as simple as you need it to be in many respects, I think perhaps does, does, kind of give you some elements of 
future proofing as well. I've got one final question for you, which is not so much about future proofing, but it's about um, dealing with the past. <laughs> um, this is a nice, it's nice to think about these things like very theoretically and very operationally if you're doing them from the, for the first time. But I'm sure I'm not the only support leader out there who has ever inherited a tagging model uh, or a, a mess of tags <laughs> that has no coherency. Um, uh, and what do you do with that if it's not actually providing you with what you need? Yeah, that's a tough one. And, you know, as humans, we always think that whatever we touch is, is perfect and what we inherit is, is inherently worse. It, and in some cases, it's absolutely right. You know, that, that might be the case. And I think in those cases, the instinctive reaction would probably be just stop tagging altogether. It's broken. I, I don't understand it. Like, let's, let's not do it until we figure mm -hmm. out the new system. But, you know, at that point, what might happen is there might be people in the company that are relying on these tags as imperfect as they might be. Uh, you know, maybe there's a product manager there who's looking at that for product issues or a marketing managers looking at the pricing comments or whatever. So you might be depriving them of that without knowing. Um, and another thing, you know, even if it's imperfect, it might still be adding value. It might still give you these like broad contact reasons or whatever the tags might be. Mm -hmm. um, so I think what I would do is I would continue running the process and try and understand as much as possible about what value people are getting, what's missing from the system, coming back to the goals or why we're tagging, uh, and then kind of start designing in parallel a new system where you have all those fundamentals in place, you know, whether it's going to be a flat taxonomy, how many tags you're going to have, what those tags are going to be at the starting point, and then uh, just create a transition plan. It's like, okay, guys, kick off meeting. We're going to have these new tags. Uh, this is what we're going to do, and this is why we're going to do it. So that kind of would reignite without losing that insight in the meantime whilst you're figuring things out. Mm -hmm. That's definitely my temptation is just to, like, wipe the slate clean. Just, as you say, put a halt there. Let's just forget it for a couple of weeks while we figure out what we actually need um, and, and, and start again. Um, but there are just so many dependencies and, and that just speaks to what we were talking about earlier. There are so many stakeholders outside, outside your own team, right? And I think that, gosh, as painful as it might be, <laughs> we, have to, uh, we have to help those guys as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tadas. I think this has been a really interesting journey through where to begin to to hopefully where to end up and and uh and all of the the potential stopping points on the way and and uh challenges and and ways to get around them um if you have one final piece of advice for our audience before we say goodbye um what would it be yeah so i think one thing that we see a lot is companies understanding the value of data that they're gathering and some of that data might be passively kind of streaming in through support or other channels. I think, you know, the future is where companies kind of develop an edge around having superior insights. So if you understand your customer segment, your customer problems, and, and can solve those more effectively than your competitors, you will have that advantage. And, you know, with so many products popping out from everywhere, things are becoming commoditized. It's kind of harder to maintain that technological edge in some cases. Uh, and I think, you know, customer 
insight-led companies, data-driven companies, but in a real sense, will actually be the ones that thrive. And I'm just kind of encouraging, you know, whether you're going to do manual tagging, you know, kind of spot checking analysis or invest in an automated system, you know, just start thinking about uh, that data and what it can do for you. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Tadas. Uh, it was a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Charlotte. It was a pleasure. And I hope it's going to be useful to your audience as well. Oh, it's, it's useful to me, if no one else, which is why I couldn't have been more pleased to have you on to talk about it. Because um, I have one of my friends, one of my friends, colleagues, guests, um, Simone Secchi, who's the head of support at Doodle, um, has a manual tagging taxonomy. And he has a very rigid approach. He's like, it's three, three level hierarchy. It's this, it's this, it's this. And thus far, he's been kind of my model (laughs) for for maybe that's what I should be aiming for but I have inherited such a massive mess of tags um and uh, I don't I've I've been struggling like in my own head how do I get from there to there and yeah Yeah. which is kind of yeah the the final that was why I wanted to ask you that final question is like just what do you do because I'm just every day I look at our like the little box on our tickets I I just empty them all (laughs) How many tickets do you roughly get on your system at the moment? Um, two hundred a month, two twenty a month, maybe two, on a busy month, two fifty. Yeah. So one thing uh, I did include in my article, but I didn't mention here, is how volume impacts how detailed your taxonomy should be. Oh, so imagine yeah. with Doodle, uh, millions of you know free users or like kind of prosumer type of users. Uh, I imagine they're getting tons of volume. Uh, in a kind of B2B context, and, you know, we are here ourselves. Uh, we don't have a ton of volume. It's actually, it does, it's not worth having a very detailed taxonomy because, first, if you wanted to retrospectively tag stuff, it's actually easier to do than doing 10,000 tickets. So if you have a broad taxonomy that's, you know, classifying things into 10 categories, you can then take that category and analyze it further when necessary mm. without doing preemptive work. And also another point, if you have 200 tickets and a very detailed taxonomy that let's say has 100 tags, the distribution is going to be so that, you know, this month you have two mentions of that, next month you have three. Those are not statistically significant insights anyway. So uh, I wouldn't beat yourself up about, you know, having very detailed or very comprehensive taxonomy. Just start small and then grow as, as you need new tags. That's actually really interesting. So make it rather than trying to impose structure on it, actually just think about reducing it because we've got this kind of monster of a, it's not a system. It's just people throwing in tags when they feel like, when they feel like there's something new to say, which means I do get these single data points every month. Um, Yeah. Maybe just regrouping again is the way to go. Like really paring it down. Yeah. 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 Oh, bear that in mind. Thank you. We should have put that on the podcast, but I, I might. <laughs> That's it for today. Go to customersupportleaders.com forward slash 175 for the show notes. And I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.